The Highlander Podcast is brought to you by Outdoor Product Design and Development, a four-year undergraduate degree focused on training the next generation of product creators for the sports and outdoor industries. Learn more at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode of our History of Gear series, we talk with Chris Leiter, a Portland-based designer and creator behind SAND. We talk about his outdoor influences, interest in gear history, and how he's integrating history into his latest products. Okay, welcome back everyone. This is Chase, and uh, joining me today is Chris Leiter, uh, the designer, founder of Sand Pack Company. Um, thanks for joining me. It's good to see you. Good to talk to you. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I know we we should have recorded our previous hour of talking, um, but yeah. we've already been going at it for about an hour here, um, just talking about the history of the outdoor industry. That's that's how we got connected, um, and I'm glad that uh, I'm trying to retrace our steps. Did you just find the outdoor archive on Instagram? Was that how? I did. I found the outdoor archive on Instagram, and then I think I hit you guys up, and you said something about the Highlander podcast. So. And we were talking about going through all those episodes and, and kind of been learning about everything you guys do at the university. And it's been an awesome trip for the last month, kind of going down the history lane there. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, uh, this will be part of our history of gear series. Um, because you, you're, you're a student of, of the industry and the, of the history of the industry, but I think you're telling a really interesting story through your company sand and, what you're doing to, to take some of the history of, of these companies, these products and giving them a new life and introducing people to some of these companies um, is, is really interesting. And I think is kind of a new spin on, on what we've been doing with the series. Like we've largely talked with, um, you know, historians of the outdoor or outdoor industry about, you know, the past of some of these companies. And um, I think what you're doing is, is an interesting spin talking about how you're, in a way reviving or giving some of these companies a new life uh, or some of the products a new life. But um, first I'm just curious, like give me a little idea of like your, your background, like how you, I guess maybe your introduction to the outdoors, we're going to take, take a a few steps back, but. Okay. Well, we can definitely go way back if you want. Yeah. Let's go back. A lot of my inspiration is definitely from, from being a kid in the outdoors. Uh, I grew up in Lake Tahoe. That's kind of where my parents ended up. They both were uh, traveling ice skaters. So they were on Mm -hmm. like Disney on ice and ice capades. And they ended up having me, the second child, Chris, the first child, Johan, from an Austrian father. (laughs) That's why his name is Johan. And they were just kind of sick of being on the road, traveling around with the second kid. So luckily, they were able to kind of set up shop in Lake Tahoe in the 80s, early 80s. Um, I think they, it was around 82 or 83, right before I was born. And then I lived in Lake Tahoe from 
when I was born till 18, till I went to college in, in uh, Reno, went to a first degree in Truckee Meadows. It's kind of a community college out in Reno, Nevada. Um, and then I moved out here to Portland to get a bachelor's in uh, graphic design, graphic communications and stuff. So uh, growing up in Tahoe is just a lot of snowboarding, uh, different types of snowboarding, backcountry snowboarding, resort snowboarding, and um, I think a lot of inspiration to make and do what I do comes from like the counterculture of snowboarding back in the day, which is, I think it's still kind of going strong now, but snowboarding's huge now. It's not, not as small as when it was first developing in the, in the early eighties and mid eighties is when I found like most of my inspiration from like the charismatic people doing it, like Jamie Lynn, Craig Kelly, Jeff Brushy, like all, all these, all these pro snowboarders, like for me as a child, I looked at them as like kind of rock stars. And, and, uh, I think the little groups around where I live, like the little, uh, kind of clicks or crews of snowboard snowboarders and skaters, it's like they all had this, uh, kind of passion to make things for themselves, like make their own clothes, you know, come up with their, like a crew name and have their own stickers and all of that. I was totally driven by like the graphics behind that, the art behind that, like the graphics on snowboard or snowboards, the uh, like how the outerwear was built and what it looked like. I just, I loved it all. It was kind of, you know, where most of my inspiration came from. So uh, that's kind of how I got into design. Like I, I, at first, I just wanted to be like a snow skate artist. I, I just wanted to do illustrations for the industry and went to college thinking like do in my portfolio just looked like a, a piece of fine art. And I was even told that in critique, like you're just making fine art. You're not making, this isn't design. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> this is, this is totally design. But I, I, I soon learned that like design was was much broader than what I was focusing on, and and now I'm like working as a creative director um, in a small studio here in Portland, and kind of delving into uh, almost every aspect of design from from product to uh, just standard layout design, web design, web development, like marketing, and, and it's a uh, definitely a busy thing but at times it it's, uh, takes me away from that original kind of inspiration uh, and that's where like sand brings me back to almost like that 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 passion that drive to have something that's kind of my own outside of like the everyday workday stuff well I, I think for a lot of people who grow up um, playing outside you know spending time you know in these outdoor activities I don't think you ever think this is an industry that I could work in. Like I could make this yeah. stuff, yeah. you know? And I think, um, I think when people have that realization, sometimes that, that can be a game changer. It's like, Oh, you mean people make this stuff that I'm using? People make yeah. these snowboards, oh, yeah. like people make these jackets, like that's a job. Um, and I think, I think it seems like a lot of product designers kind of have that realization or they end up finding themselves falling into the industry. Um, there's like never really a clear path into it. Um, yeah. which I think is what we're trying to create with our, our program here at the university is create more of a clear path, uh, for people to do that. But 
that seems like a common experience, right? It's like this realization. It's like, oh, I could be making the stuff that I love to use. Uh, did you did you have one of those moments, or I, I guess uh, when you were when you were you know snowboarding, did you ever think I want to work in this industry? Like I would love to be in the outdoor space. Oh yeah, the whole time I knew I wanted to either be a professional snowboarder, and further along when I got a bit older and was injured a few times, I started looking into the other side of it. Is like, can I make art for snow or skate? Which that never happened, but still, I followed that design path, and I'm I'm definitely working with clients and brands that I think is just as fulfilling as if I ended up, you know, doing illustrations for a snow skate company. But I've had those aha moments, like definitely uh, more than once, uh, in, in snowboarding, uh, there was a few smaller brands going on at the time. I think one was like Bob snowboards in the bottom graphics had like, kind of like a, a gas station patch on them that said Bob. Hmm. And I realized these, some of these smaller snowboard brands, people were actually like just in their garage, like making the boards and cutting the boards and, there was a lot of these smaller, like Yellow Bus, I think was one. I don't know if these, like, I don't know the history, but there was definitely a few do-it-yourself, like, snowboard brands out there. Where I was like, oh, man, you can you can definitely do, that, do this yourself for sure. Um, and then later on, like, I got into uh, trying to, like, put my own music and art out there through web design when it was first developing. So I, I started doing web design, and I... I didn't even know you could do that. So that was like an aha moment. You can uh, just, I don't know. Once you find out you can make something on your own, I think that is just so, so special. And, and why like right now I'm not, I'm battling whether I want to like manufacture stuff, like part of, part of the process and, and the magic in it all is like, for me is, is, is a little bit lost by losing the part of it where you're like building it yourself and cutting up the material yourself. And, and it's like not viable as a business option to be like building all your own packs and trying to like survive. But for me, it's not really kind of about that. It's, it's more of a passion project. So luckily I don't have to focus on like making money doing it. Right. Definitely helps when you, when you feel, I imagine you feel challenged by, the project you feel fulfilled by it um you know and that fulfillment comes you know whether whether there's a paycheck coming or not right yeah, um sure. with that said i guess walk me through like the origins of sand um you know where where is this an idea that you had incubating for a while you mentioned that you've been doing this for about 5 years um yeah. what where did this initial idea come from and what did you want sand to be there there's tons of people out there making product right yeah. Um, but I've, I've noticed something very different about what you're creating, or at least it has, there's a different feeling to it. Um, so what did you want to, what did you want to create? What went into that, in, into that process? Uh, I met a few good friends, like going to the school in Portland here, the art Institute. I think like, uh, a lot of inspiration came from actually putting myself back in the school and, and getting a like furthering my education and design. So I met, I met some good friends and one of those good friends, like we wanted to have an outlet outside of our day jobs after, you know, we both graduated and we started sand thinking it would be like, just like this mini 
screen printing t-shirt brand like you know you've heard this story time and time again like we want to do something cool as screen prints and t-shirts and so we started getting into just like doing the design process together working collaboratively like in adobe illustrator and coming up with like series of designs we would do on shirts and we had a website and we sold you know shirts here and there we did a few pop-up shops but the original idea was like so what we have sand as a cult is the web address and our original idea was like sand is like the oldest thing it's like the oldest rock it's withered down to like a mini stone or a pebble um and we were just thinking around like doing this thing about fake religious cults like how could we recruit someone into a religious cult and have them think it's a cult but then turn it into something else like it's a now it's you you've been recruited to buy some product <laughs> now it's a i don't know and then i got into sewing just because i think initially i bought an industrial machine about six years ago i've always been into sewing it's just been one of those like pathways i've reached time and time again but i got pretty injured like my back i got a herniated disc and my main uh like thing at the time was like running so i definitely had to had to do something to replace that so i learned how to use an industrial machine and also started to find so much inspiration online like uh, through instagram one but like also there's so many people doing this like there's bike pack makers there's every pack you can think of there's there's someone doing it themselves out there so i'm definitely not special at all <laughs> so i'm like leaking into other topics in this interview but um well yeah, so I, Sam, I, like, well I, i'm curious like i i feel like I mean, in that way, it's kind of a similar story around textiles and pack making that I think is really interesting. And and for those who have listened to previous episodes, right, um, like Jameis, you know, his story with Greater Goods, like, um, you know, someone who's just curious about learning how to work with different materials um, mm -hmm. in design, like challenging himself to, to to buy a sewing machine and learn how to sew right like for for his new year's resolution and and now he's making you know one-off designs that are that are incredible and he's really taken off um it it to me it sounds like it's kind of a it, it's an interesting medium i guess is is the point right it's like sewing i think is um and and making things uh, out of out of textiles is is, is really interesting because um, there's a relatively low barrier to entry. Obviously, the pattern making can get really complicated, um, but a lot of people can feed fabric through a sewing machine, right? Like yeah. a lot of people can do that. Now, now there's different levels, right, to what you can create. But um, do you feel like that kind of opened up a, a whole another medium for you to be able to 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 sew? I think so. I think sewing is kind of special because you're you're dealing with every part of design, but you're dealing with it like in a tactile way. You're touching everything and color is real. It's not on a screen. It's like something you can like, you know, you go to a fabric store, you can look through patterns and feel the material and what it's like. And I think it's, it's, it's also like you're cutting and you're like, it's like art. You're cutting and pasting and playing with, you know, different things and seeing if they fit together. And also like when you incorporate a knowledge of like how to use a certain material 
for function, like it, it, it ups the level. And that's kind of my, my education in the last few years has been like, oh, wow, like, okay, I've got like a hardcore industrial sewing machine. I'm starting to use materials I've never used before and learn about materials and what their function is. And I just had such a love early on. I mean, I still do, but for Cordura, it was just like special to me. I was like, oh, dude, like even like looking at the old Topo Designs packs, I just think a very simple Cordura pack is still super valuable. Like, I don't know. I, I play a lot of role. I, I place a lot of value in the role of aesthetics in, in my work. And I think if, if you, there's a lot of people who focus highly on function. Um, whereas like, I don't know. Sometimes I think a little bit of that is BS. I think a simple item that works for you, you know, like a, like why everyone likes totes. It's like a bag with a big pocket and you can just throw all your shit in it. And like, Everyone loves the totes. Like I can just do totes forever, tote bags, tote bags, tote bags. But I don't know. I, I'm trying to like keep everything pretty simple. And I just like that the end product is this thing you can kind of hold. And I mean, I'm the same way with information. I'd rather hold a book and touch the pages. And I'd rather, I don't know, touch a record. It's, it's a weird nostalgia. I know like when we're supposed to be embracing technology, but. One me, where your full-time work is so digital, right? Yeah, maybe it's just my like outlet or break from my job, you know, like this is my other way I can get my kicks or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, where when did you feel like that the brand really came into its own and what did you want it to I mean, you talked a little bit about the the meaning of sand, right? But I guess what did you want it to mean for people and when do you think that that I you know, that kind of started to formulate itself? Jeez, I don't know. It was super organic. Like <clears throat> at first I, I, I just wanted to like put out simple items that were durable and that had a lot of aesthetic value. And part of that was like mirroring other brands that were doing that, that I looked up to like definitely Topo designs is one of them. Um, but I don't know. I think <sighs> I don't really think about it that much, you know, like where sand will go. It's sometimes just, it's weird who latches on to certain things, like kind of odd in, in Instagram culture, how people will lat, like kind of grasp onto one thing you're doing and, and think you kind of embody that when you could embody something totally different. Well, this, it's a conversation that I've had with other people like Nicole McLaughlin, you know, about upcycling and how she, uses brand um a lot like upcycling a lot of of uh brands products into new items and and how she started to move away from upcycling brands and now she's upcycling with food and other materials and all sorts of crazy stuff right and and we kind of had an interesting conversation i'd love your thoughts like on on just the power of brand right it seems like um I don't, we all want to find something unique or something that represents us or communicates the way we feel or our values. Like that's, that's one of those things about apparel or gear, something that we wear and use, right? It's like says something about us. So it's kind of interesting to hear from your perspective, right? It's like, this is an evolving thing, but people associate some kind of value with it. Mm -hmm. um, and you're, it's not like a top down. This is what our values are. This is what we want you to feel. It's people are, are assigning that value to it. Um, yeah. 
which is really interesting. And, and just kind of this dynamic of brand and, and people wanting something that's entirely unique and entirely their own. Um, but they also want to associate themselves with recognized brands because of maybe the values or the status that, you know, those provide them. Uh, I don't know. Where do you see yourself falling um, along that spectrum? Um, she's awesome, by the way. Uh, Nicole, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. She's just next level, though, with it. I don't know if I can start taking banana peels and, like, sewing a pack out of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just crazy what she's doing. I like yeah. her thought process, and I love her feed. It's just amazing work. Um, I think association with brand, I know, like, uh, with your Jameis interview, he was taking North Face and Patagonian, and I'd say he was using it in a really tasteful way to maybe – um, up the value of his brand because I, I think a lot of people uh, will see a North Face kind of woven label and be like, "Oh my God, it's it's you're doing something totally new with it." But they still associate it with the original brand, North Face. Whereas, like recently with the Frostline Kits bags, I'm doing the same thing. I'm, I'm making sure like I'm taking the original label and using it, but no one knows what Frostline Kits is, and like I guess the Burton project is a little more similar to what Jameis was doing with North Face because everyone kind of knows what Burton is or Burton snowboards. Um, but I think there's something special about the original like history of it all. And if, if I weren't to incorporate like the woven label of a certain brand and a piece, I think it would lose a lot of its, you know, special value to someone outside looking at it. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. <laughs> it, it, it seems like using brand is is a powerful way to bring people into the conversation, right? Um, and and then you're able to challenge them with kind of your take, right? It's like upcycling a Burton product, right? People are going to recognize that brand and have certain yeah. feelings um, about it, but to be able to put your own spin on it and and rethink it um, is is really interesting. Um, I, I don't know. Do you mind sharing a little bit more about? Um, kind of your interest in history and then we can we can talk a little bit about the the projects um that that you've been working on especially recently and and how you've been incorporating the history of of some of these brands um what, when did you really start to pay attention or start to dig into the history of of some of these brands because you've been doing this with patagonia catalogs you you yeah it's actually project or was that that was before you started the kind of the formal cut and uh what, what's the name of the project called cut and and play is what I kind of just started the last couple months. Um, that inspiration was really sort of like part of that was your outdoor archive, like, and uh, you know, some of the interviews you had on your podcast. Um, but before that I had started um, a project that uses, I wouldn't call it upcycling. It's actually, you're still using new materials, but I started collecting Patagonia catalogs and doing collages out of them. Um, like on paper and then sending like a really high res photo of those to get printed on Dyneema fabric. Mm. Um, so I started using those like graphics or collages on like a outdoor wallet series. Um, so I think it was like almost like the first inkling of an idea or a seed of an idea where, where like this next part of it is, actually taking the original pieces and, and and doing real upcycling not just like the idea is still there it's still to me it's like 
it's great that I'm trying to use all the old materials in my studio, but also it's, it's a totally different problem to solve than, than, uh, you know, coming up with a, a design made from all new materials. Cause they're just flat sheets of, of fabric, you know, whereas like when you're cutting up a pair of pants or something like that, you really have to think about where the seams land and, uh, you could end up with just a mess if you don't, you know, think through it and cut it up in the right places. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I hope it right now. I think the future of where this is going is me learning a lot more about brands. I've never even like heard of before. And hopefully, you know, I can in my, in the process, teach people that they can also do this and they can also learn about like historical brands that have been sort of, I mean, you deal with it every, every day, like history gets lost if it's not like kind of rekindled. Right. Well, and I think that's, that's where I was initially um, attracted to what you were doing. I think you followed our, our outdoor archive Instagram and I just saw this Patagonia project and I thought that I've never seen anyone who's taking, you know, old Patagonia catalogs and translating that old, um, you know, art, you know, the, the, the text into a new product, right? Um, I just thought that was such an interesting take because one of the things that we talk about as an archive is um, a lot of these materials, we're saving people's junk mail, right? But as a designer, I think you have an appreciation of, um, you know, some of these these catalogs are just ordinary. It is, it's something that would show up in your mailbox and you'd flip through and, you know, maybe you'd toss it. Maybe you'd, it would sit around the house for a while and collect dust and then you'd get rid of it. Um, but I think that's, that's, you're taking the ordinary, right. And imprinting it on a product and giving it some kind of a new life, even if you're not directly, um, you know, upcycling the paper itself. Um, but in a way you're continuing the life of that product in a, in a different way, or at least continuing the story, which I thought was really interesting. Um, you know, giving people just a small window into the, the history of a brand, um, and paying some, you know, paying homage to them in a way. Um, I just, I thought that was really interesting. Um, and an interesting evolution of this conversation where we were talking so much about, you know, documenting, preserving the history of the industry, but there's so much on the other side of that spectrum. It's like, what do you do with that history? Like what could be done to, um, you know, take some of these brands that are, you know, that have trademarks that are still floating out there in the world, right? Like some of these brands have come and gone, uh, but the trademarks are available. Um, you know, and, and recently we've seen a couple of companies have started back up to revive some of these brands. Whole U Bar is, is one um, in the last, I think, 10 years or so. Um, a group out of Italy went and got the trademark for Whole U Bar, you know, this brand that started in the you know, late 40s, early 50s, one of the core outdoor brands, and they're re- they've revived it. Um, and I, I see a huge potential for that, right? It's like yeah. leveraging this history and heritage that the outdoor industry has. Um, there's no shortage of some of these small brands that have come and gone. So I'm really interested to see what are people going to do um, with the knowledge of these brands that, 
that maybe they had never heard of before. A couple that we mentioned off air, right? Rivendell Mountain Works, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, a couple others, Moonstone, um, Down Home. There's a few of these companies that you've never heard of before, but you dig into the history. Um, and they're really interesting stories. And we talked a little bit again off air, like history is written by the winners, right? But that's not to say that a lot of these brands that have come and gone don't have meaningful stories to tell. And, um, and that's where I thought the, the frost line, um, project was, was really interesting. A company that I had, I wasn't familiar with, you know, uh, maybe two years ago. Um, but recently, you know, got to know the brand, got to talk to, um, you know, people associated with the company really get to understand how big this company got. It was a massive company mm-hmm. selling kits all over the country. And the kit business was huge, right? Selling, um, selling these pattern pieces. And then you would sew up your own parka or your own down vest and the, the down, right. You probably have some of the down chambers, right. The, the down <laughs> that you'd put into the chambers. And um, it, it's, it's, interesting that, um, you know, some of this history, um, it can just disappear. Right. And so I think what you're doing with the Frostline project is really interesting because I imagine quite a few of your followers, um, you know, probably are going to go to Bruce Johnson's history of gear website to read about Frostline. I hope so. Right. I mean, that's the, I, I is <laughs> that part of the goal? Is that part of the goal is to, to shed some light on some of these brands that maybe you've you've fallen in love with as you've discovered them and learned about them is, um, you know, is, is that part of the motivation? I think that's like a huge part of the motivation. I found so much like inspiration specifically. I mean, I just started this series, but I'm hoping to build many, many pieces out of it and they're not all going to be tote bags. Some will be backpacks. Some will be, I mean, the first piece was kind of a pair of shorts, but I think like with Frostline, I also relate to some of the brands in the 60s and 70s because just the way they were making stuff like is a lot like the way I'm making stuff in my room. And I relate to that. Like I relate to not, I don't know. I just, I don't want to get big. I don't want to manufacture things. So like part of me like has that nostalgia to kind of research how they used to do it and almost do it the same way. Or like, I don't know, I get a kick out of that. So if that's part of my process, I, I'd love to like share these brands and have people learn like also. And if I can keep doing that, like that's the, that's more of the value in it than even like getting people to recognize sand. Like I don't, I don't really care. Sand is my, my thing that I like have fun with. So like if people like it, they can like it. And I definitely know you'll, you'll do something weird and like your, your, you know, your Instagram audience will be like, the heck are you doing you gotta keep like selling this or that and my website's been sold out for two months and it's because it's not my job like i'm doing this to like i don't know if it's selfish but also trying to show that there's value in things other than like buying something you know Mm. Yeah, that's, I mean, so much the industry is driven. Well, the industry is driven by that, right? And that an industry that um, is all about getting people outside and enjoying the natural world also finds itself in this conundrum, right? Of, well, we got to sell more stuff to help people get outside, 
right? And that's a, that's something that our students face all the time. It's like I want to yeah. be a part of this industry, but do I really want to make more stuff? And and so they go through a little crisis of how do I make more stuff that matters, right? Mm-hmm. How do I be a part of the the solution rather than just make more more stuff with you know a different colorway or a zipper that's here or there or you know slightly different features? Um, so it's interesting to hear you know your your perspective on that. Um, I, I was, you have any more thoughts on that? Just about it, you're, you don't seem driven to make more stuff just to make more stuff. No, I think like it's got, there's got to be an idea there and like a story. And if there's not a story or an idea there, like I don't want to just put uh, like products on, on my website and sell them. I want to like create almost like an experience out of every project and hopefully like through video and photography and um, like these little historical collages, like people will feel something a little different than the, I mean, I may sell stuff in, in the future that has to do with this, but it's definitely not my motivation. And like with what Jameis did with uh, greater goods, greater goods, right. Mm-hmm. With Arcteryx is like, that's, that's an awesome way to expand the idea. You've got a brand that's fully established in the outdoor technical industry and they're, seeing value in someone and using almost like their vision to, you know, get into like a process of upcycling. And I don't know, like, I think that's a great way to get out there is not like if your original motivation is just to sell things and you're trying to like appeal to other people, like, I just don't know if there's much story story there. Like I, I feel like you have to build the story and the value before you try to, uh, you know, grow as, as a brand. And for me, like I, I definitely like within the fa- last five years battled wanting to manufacture things and, and knowing a little bit about it and, and knowing how to source source from other countries. And every time I get down that road a little bit, I, I just am like, this is not why I'm doing this. Like I can just work at my day job to do this type of stuff. Like, yeah. Well, what, what are you looking forward to in the the future? I know you kind of mentioned sand is just evolves, right? Um, but you've got to have um, some ideas for, for future projects or at least, um, companies that are intriguing maybe that's a path we can go down what what are some some of the companies in the archive or maybe outside the archive that have really piqued your interest or stories that you want to dive into more and i know you've got maybe another frost line project in you um and there's plenty of frost line kits floating around on on ebay you can you can buy those all day long so there's a lot of those to work with but um what are some of the other companies that that have really jumped out at you uh, well, Frostline, I, I'm doing one more Frostline piece. I I found a, like you said, there's a lot of Frostline on eBay, and that's kind of where I've been getting most of my my stuff right now. Uh, I mean, I, I'd love to go junking somewhere in Boulder, Colorado. If I ever get there, I'm sure there's some awesome like stores to go through. But right now, it's been basically eBay. Um, so I have a mountain parka from Frostline that is like a kind of like a slate blue color and it's got some cool pockets on it. I'm going to turn that into something. Um, I think I'm going to like bleach dye it. And then after bleaching it, I'm going to do kind of an indigo dye process and 
try to turn it into something else, but still keep that frost line label on it. Mm. Um, so I'm excited. I actually, uh, later today was going to bleach the jacket and see what happens. <laughs> Sometimes bleaching is weird. Like you'll get something that turns orange, like all mm. of a sudden, I think that usually happens when you start with black, it turns orange and I don't want that to happen. So, um, but like, uh, I learned about class five a little bit from you guys and, um, Bruce Johnson's kind of archive. I kind of want to do something with old Sierra design packs, but they're really expensive. They're kind of collector's items. Mm. So I don't know, like if I'm willing to spend like $130 for a teardrop pack, you yeah. know, f- from Sierra design. So I don't know. I don't have a long list. It's, it's kind of, uh, as I learn about new brands from back in the day, something sparks an interest in it and I'll delve more into it. I'd like to, uh, uh, originally this started by only wanting to do old snowboard brands and, and focus on snowboard outerwear. So I have some wave rave pieces. If you've ever heard of, heard of them back in the day, wave rave was like a big outerwear, um, kind of company. Uh, what else? I found some old Moro pants. Um, hmm. Moro snowboards was also one of the originals, like Moro, Kemper, Burton. Um, I'm trying to think what I have around here. Yeah, so like mostly snowboarding, but yeah, I'm definitely delving into different outdoor brands and companies and just trying to learn along the way. So. That's kind of what I'm doing. I have the next two projects planned and then the rest will happen, I think, organically or what I learned from the next one will lead into the to what I find interest in, in you know, future iterations. Right. Well, there's no shortage of companies to dive into. That's, that's what I'm learning is yeah. the more I look into the history of the industry, the more I find some you know, niche, uh, regional outdoor brand, um, that has a whole history, um, you know, for itself. Um, so yeah, the, the digger that I deep, um, the more, um, uh, overwhelmed, um, but also excited that I get at the prospect of, of the work that, that we're doing. So, um, I don't know. Do, have you seen anyone else who's, who's doing anything, maybe not a direct, um, you know, super similar to what you're doing, but do you see anyone else who's, who's out there appreciating the work and, and trying to, I guess, honor the history of these companies, introduce people to these brands kind of in a way like, like what you're doing, or is there anyone else that you're aware of? Uh, not really. I mean, on the upcycling side, I think like we talked about Jameis with greater goods or greater goods, right? Sorry. I keep, I hope I'm getting his name right every time I say that. Um, he's not exactly taking these like historical brands, but I think almost like this uh, collab culture that's going on is kind of reviving um, maybe brands that don't have such a limelight. Whereas like Topo is good with collabs and um, they'll sometimes take uh that's kind of all I can really relate. I haven't seen people really take an old, old brand that, that, that doesn't still exist and turn it into something new. I know a lot of people are using like old North face pieces or Patagonia pieces, but they're brands that still are around. Um, so n- maybe not now, but I'm sure I'll find other people doing the same thing. 
thing. There's always, you'll be, you know, you're always surprised when you find someone doing the exact same thing as you as you're like, Oh, I thought I was special, but I'm not. Right. Well, that's, that's been the response that we've gotten. Not, I, I still feel like we're special and what you're doing is special too, but, <laughs> but it's, it's good to, to kind of fall into a community, which I think we're starting to develop in a way. I mean, that was kind of the goal behind the podcast was, I mean, there's kind of all these disparate groups of people who are passionate about the history of this industry. Is there a way to at least um, start documenting stories about um, these people and their connection to these brands? And well, that was kind of the motivation behind the podcast and, and, and you know, the archive as well. It's like, let's, let's start celebrating um, the history of, of some of these companies and, and um, try to bring more people into the, into the community if we can. So, yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's, what's been fun is, is stumbling across, um, I mean, there's, there's a, a guy in Australia that, that runs a website similar to Bruce Johnson's that's, um, I mean, he's just documenting the history of the industry and he's got a timeline of firsts, right? It's like, here's all the firsts in the industry. It's like new product innovations. And, um, like there's kind of this disparate groups of people who, who have this passion and love for these outdoor brands and they're kind of doing their, all their own archival work. You're doing that archive archival work in your own way. Um, so it, I, I think it's helpful that we can find each other. So we know that we're not, um, crazy uh it's yeah. nice to know that there's other well i guess there's other crazy people out there who's who are uh you know passionate about these old brands um as well so that that's been the fun part for me yeah for sure like i uh we're, we're doing our own sorts of preservation of these brands and I, I think we're both doing it in valuable ways for other people to look at and learn um but yeah gosh just having I think the model of having something to start with is, is huge. Whereas like a regular design process from new materials, like there's nothing there to begin with. Whereas like when you're, when you're taking something that exists already, it's like you have, you have a piece of clay already that has some sort of image built into it and like memory built into it. And it's, it's fun to like have a starting point. And it's also like eat, it's easier in a way and it's harder in, in the way that you have to get creative with constructing these new products out of them. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's some built in constraints there, um, which it sounds like you embrace. Um, yeah. I don't know. When, when you're, when you're kind of tackling a project like this and you lay out all the pattern pieces for a frost line kit, yeah. do you, is it like you said, kind of, you see the statue in the marble or like what, what, how do you get your idea for what this thing is going to become? I think first, like when I'm looking at the pieces online, I'll, I'll definitely look at color. And for me, pockets are huge. Like the design of the original piece kind of has to look like something I was either once interested in, like with the Burton pieces, I'd probably never wear an old pair of like lavender Burton snowboard pants right now. But at, but at one time when I was a kid, those are the pants I wanted and I wanted them really bad. So that's part of the story is like, I'm bringing that memory into a current product and I'm like trying to tell that original story and that original feeling I had that made me so inspired. Um, but like with Frostline, when I lay it out on a table, like I, I got an original Frostline kit recently and opened up the box and it was like half made. Someone had tried to sew the parka together and they it felt like they just gave up. So 
with that one, they got the pockets done. So I'm like, all right, I'll use the pockets. They're pretty, they did a pretty good job on the pockets. I'll keep them as is. And sometimes like when a piece is fully constructed, I'll just cut it up and patch it back together in a different way. So like almost like a pack patchwork method where if you don't have many full kind of, you don't have the real estate on, on some, some of the material you can, just take all the mini pieces you can find off of it and sew it into a big, uh, kind of a big sheet. Um, but pockets is huge. I like, I'll usually use the original pocket. Um, with this last piece with frost line, the, the rust tote bag, I actually took a pair of bonfire snowboard pants too. And I created the product, the, the pockets on my own from that. But then I used the down vest, um, in ways I could manage with it. A lot of the seams with down, like connecting together, like it gets pretty thick. And I, uh, when you're, when you're also adding like a thousand D Cordura, like my binder won't go through multiple, like, Hmm. uh, pieces of fabric like that. So I'm thinking uh, uh, like of construction. I'm also thinking about like color, the original, like design, I guess there's a few different, few different factors that, that kind of set the pace of a, but no, it's not like I, I, most of the time for these pieces, like the upcycled ones, I won't like draw out a design first it, um, with all my newer stuff. Like I'd get on my iPad and, and, and kind of go through a few iterations before trying to like, sew something. But with these, I think the fun part is like just going right into it and like, kind of creating a pattern but it's like a very almost like skeleton pattern that i can use to like almost like trace trace pieces on the original on the original with and i even cut up the pattern if if i have to to like create something else out of the original piece so uh, i guess that's sort of (laughs) sort of how i deal with it well so i I maybe kind of as a i don't know kind of wrap up the conversation in a way, but what, what do you, what would you recommend or some parting thoughts for people who, I guess, quit before they're ahead, right? I, I respect what you, you know, what you've done, what Jameis has done, what Nicole has done. Um, like just your ability to push through and learn a skill, like push yourself to learn how to sew or, or even if you don't know how to sew, you, you still can create, right? That was a a big lesson for me from Nicole is a lot of her work is, um, or at least in the past was a hot glue gun and scissors, right? It's like cobbling stuff together. Um, you know, how important for you is just starting. Um, and, and what would you say to people who are kind of holding themselves back from just creating? Yeah, that definitely, you can just get stopped in your tracks thinking of an idea and never like executing it. I'd say like, uh, one of my like early inspirations when I got um, into pack making was uh, this dude on Instagram. His name's James, but his handle is Rucksack Village. He said, "Don't don't be too precious with it. Like uh, make mistakes and make a ton of them." So that that same like mindset kind of goes into starting an idea and just putting it into action. Like you have to start somewhere, and sometimes like the idea develops within the process. It doesn't develop on a notepad or anything like that and sometimes it doesn't develop in a sketch it develops through making mistakes you know 
And like, well, and it, it doesn't seem like you're ever going to make anything new or interesting if you're playing it safe, right? It's like yeah, for sure. else that I'm aware of has taken a transfer print of catalogs and put that on a product, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a really interesting idea that I just, I haven't seen done, right? And I don't know how much you knew about, you know, how, how, to, how to go through that process, but there's probably a few things that you had to brush up on and learn how to, how to do that. And um, it's kind of the same with anything that's new, right? It's like, you're going to have to go through a little bit of a, a growth curve and put in a little extra time doing your homework of how, how you're going to execute something or, um, but, but the ro- reward is there, right? There's an opportunity there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, with that, if anyone is interested, I, I might as well like tell them how they can do it. If you want to print your art on good outdoor materials like Dyneema composite, Ripstop by the roll does it and it's relatively inexpensive if you want to just test out the process. It's, it's definitely fun. <laughs> no, it sounds awesome. That's great. Yeah. Um, I guess with, with that said, um, how do, how, how do people stay in touch with you? How's the best way to connect with you? I know Instagram's big. That's where we connected, but yeah, Instagram, you can email me at, uh, Christopher at sandasacult.com or info at sandasacult.com. But uh, I'll usually like reply on Instagram. If I feel like I can say I can do something, I'll reply. I get a lot of like, when is your website going to not be all sold out again? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I can't <laughs> answer that one anymore. I'm sorry. I'm just working on other things. Uh, but yeah, Instagram, if you want to hit me up, go for it. I'm down to have a conversation or either like I'd love to, if you have questions about materials or or learning about a certain process, that's, I love that. I'd love to teach people. Well, that's great. Well, Chris, I think we'll wrap it up here. We could easily do, do another conversation um, in the future, but we'll wrap it here. I I appreciate your taking time and, and glad that uh, you, you reached out initially and found the archive. Um, it's just, it's amazing to see what you're working on. Can't wait to see what future projects are coming. Thank you. It's been awesome to talk to you. I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. You're probably going to be a constant inspiration for me with the future work I'm doing. So thanks a lot, Chase. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. Subscribe and listen for more outdoor stories and content wherever podcasts are found on highlanderbag.com and each Sunday at 4 p.m. on Aggie Radio, 92.3 FM in Cache Valley.